Hey guys, it's April. I just want to warn you that the following conversation is going to make you hungry. Because we're talking about pizza. And while you're ordering your dinner tonight on a pizza app, can I just recommend that you use that mobile device to check out our own limited series podcast, Doe Dynasty? It gives a definitive, brief history of Michigan's dominance in the American chain pizza industry. Check it out. Just search for Doe Dynasty. Okay, on to today's cheesy goodness. This year, Michigan pizza provider Hungry Howie's celebrates 50 years in operation. That's a lot of pizzas, subs, and salads, especially in a sector that's so crowded with the likes of other homegrown companies such as Little Caesars and Domino's. You know, our lives move so quickly, and uh, it's, it's, it's a milestone that uh, kind of snuck up on us. This is Stateside. I'm April Bear. CEO Steve Jackson started at the bottom of the original Taylor location, just a delivery guy when founder Jim Hearn brought him on. In subsequent years, Jackson took the helm as Hungry Howie's pioneered quality customer service and experimented with flavored crusts long before other chains were doing it. Over the last 40 years, everybody has tried flavored crust. Every national brand has dabbled with it. Hungry Howie's now has 535 stores across 21 states. Today, we talked to Steve Jackson about the early years of this Michigan standout pizza chain, how it got its name, and where that flavored crust came from. The pizza industry has been somewhat of a hotbed in the Detroit market for 50, 60 years. Two other big brands grew up here in 1959 and 60. And there was another brand at that same time called Dino's Pizza that was uh, doing a pretty good job in the 60s. And Jim Hearn, the founder of our company, actually in the late 60s owned two Dino's Pizzas. Uh, Dino's was bigger than Domino's or Little Caesars at that time. Jim happened to own one of the Dinos, three blocks from where I grew up. So at 16 years old, myself and my friends delivered pizzas for him at Dinos. Jim was about 12 or 14 years older than my friends and I. We grew up very blue collar, small homes. My dad was a truck driver. And Jim had just built a new home, not very large, you know, four or five miles west in a, in a new developing suburb of Detroit. And he had two really nice new cars and we just idolized him, you know, being 16, 17 years old. So his name was Jim Hearn and we nicknamed him Howie after Howard Hughes. You might remember <laughs> younger people now don't know that name, but back in the sixties, Howard Hughes was one of the most richest men in the world. So Jim also owned a small hamburger stand in Taylor, Michigan. I had graduated from high school. My goal was to be a teacher. And I was working on the line at Ford, building cars. And on campus at Eastern Michigan University was the most happening restaurant bar there called Hungry Charlie's. It was about two blocks from where Tom Monahan opened the first Domino's. So in 72, Jim got kind of fed up with the, the Dino's concept, sold it, and went and ran his hamburger stand, which was one of those little white porcelain buildings, you know, similar to like a White Castle. And... At one point, he said, you know, I'm going to go back in the pizza business. 
We said, really? He goes, yep, I'm going to convert this hamburger stand into a pizza place. So we're thinking, Hungry Charlie's, this is the coolest place on campus. His nickname's Howie. Why don't you call it Hungry Howie's? And he did. What were some things that come to mind about what makes a successful pizza concept? You know, really, it's only three things. And, you know, what's important pretty much in any business, but it's great product, great service, great image. That's really what it boils down to. And trying to focus on consistency. One thing about pizza, what makes it so challenging is the making of dough and managing dough because temperature and humidity make a big difference. When you're in the business and you're making a burger, you know, you take a bun, you split it, you put a piece of meat in between it. You know, it's, it's a little bit easier assembly where when we make our dough fresh daily, we have to manage, you know, the room temperature, the humidity. So I'm sure in, in, in all the pizzas you've ordered throughout your life, you've had good ones and you've had bad ones. And mm-hmm. a, a lot of it's based on the, uh, the dough. Steve, can you say a little bit about what it took at that point to expand into multiple locations? Well, I will say that there's never been a long-term goal. You know, it, it just, it, we, we always grew with conservative, manageable growth. I saw the opportunity to franchise, so we kind of put that together. Jim's goal in life in the early 80s was to move his family to Florida. So in 1982, he moved to Florida. And that's why Florida and Michigan have the largest number of stores because he lived there and I lived here. So what ended up happening is we brought some people in through these friends and relatives and actually a guy that I had worked with on the line at Ford quit his job and partnered in a store. So the opportunity uh, looked good to many, many people. So we grew with internally with managers that borrowed some money from their parents and partnered in stores. And we have a couple of individuals that started with our brand in the early 80s, owning like a third or a half of one location. And today they own over 60. And then I kind of was the driving force to want to proceed with franchising. So we started that process in 80 and actually awarded our first franchise in 1983. Can you think of other industry innovations that changed the game as Hungry Howie's was was building its portfolio of stores? Well, there's a couple of them. I mean, obviously, we felt that flavored crust was 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 great. We started dabbling with that in 1983. A franchisee said, hey, why don't we put some sesame seeds on the crust and maybe put some butter? And to make a long story short, we worked on it. We tested it. And ended up coming out with multiple flavors. And in 1985, rolled it in about the 50 stores that we had. Jim was in Florida. I was in Michigan. We had about 50 locations. So we thought that was a bit of a game changer. But I will tell you, educationally, it it was difficult to get the customer to understand what what it was all about. Uh, Because truly, I think prior to that, the crust of the pizza was pretty much the handle of the slice. And everybody Mm -hmm. would eat the great toppings. And many, many times when you were done eating, the crusts were in the box because people (laughs) didn't eat them. So we kind of changed that game when we we added the the flavors to it. You know, being a small brand, it was hard for us to get the, the necessary marketing out to get people to understand what it was. And I remember the first campaign that we did with the ad agency it said, start 
eating start where you used to leave off and the people were holding the pizza backwards eating it from the crust <laughs> in we need to take a quick break more in a moment Support for Michigan Public's stateside podcast comes from Lake Trust Credit Union, working to empower financial well-being for Michigan consumers, businesses, and communities. Committed to financial solutions and advice to support people and families. More information at laketrust.org. Support for the stateside podcast comes from Kalamazoo College, offering a personalized education that combines critical thinking, curiosity, and creativity. Committed to preparing students for meaningful careers that make a positive impact on the world. More at kzoo.edu. Steve, is there anything off the menu that you think has made an especially big difference in the industry? The biggest change that I would say in the last 30 years has been technology. The computerized point-of-sale systems that are, were put in stores, we started putting them in in the middle 90s, and they were kind of becoming innovative at that time, which was hard to fathom because you got a hot, flower, dusty environment, and you're taking this special piece of equipment, a computer, and, and putting it in a store. So what that did was prior to that, all of our orders were taken on guest checks, you know, handwritten, you know, and if it wasn't written correctly, the pizza got made incorrectly and, and what have you, and you can't read the address. So you dealt with all the, the human error. So computers really kind of changed the game in the 90s. And then in the last 10 to 15 years, it's become a very sophisticated game. Advertising in the pizza industry for 50 years was direct mail, always direct mail. The coupons in the mailbox uh, or door hanging. Most homes get that, that packet on Monday or Tuesday across the country with the coupons inserted into it. That was the main marketing strategy of all pizza places. And, you know, it got to the point where, you know, there were too many in at one time we could have a four-hour conversation on technology and the impact in the pizza industry. And uh, that in itself has been the game changer of, of the pizza industry the last 15 or 20 years. What's happened in the pizza industry and the way we've formalized our ordering process and our point of sales, we have your name, we have your address, your landline if you have it, your cell phone if you have it, we have your email address, we know what you eat, and we know when you eat it. So when we start dealing with data scientists years ago, they couldn't believe the possibilities. And that's been the focus for the last 10 plus years. I mean, you, you want to you talk about another game changer that's evolved over these recent years is third-party delivery. Mm -hmm. You know, third-party delivery, I'm going to be honest with you, five years ago, I'm like, we're not doing that. We've always ran our own delivery. We will continue to run our own delivery people. And uh, most brands kind of had that attitude, and then they started falling off. And uh, Domino's, up until about three to five months ago, will never do that. Well, guess what? I said they will, and they are. <laughs> They're starting to test third-party delivery. If you think back, 
10 years ago, if you were sitting home and you wanted to order, order food, you had to order pizza, maybe Chinese, some Chinese restaurants deliver Jimmy John's. They delivered. Right. That was it. So now with third party coming in, you can get anything you want. What are some of the things that you think about to keep the business competitive in that kind of environment? Well, innovation something that's been a little bit important to us. So, you know, we try to keep our customers interested by, by doing things a bit differently without complicating operations. That's, that's the biggest challenge. In the last 24 months, we developed a relationship with DoorDash and uh, have, been, have been using them. And actually, at this point in the game, they're handling about 6% of our business, which is baffling to me. One aspect of third-party delivery services is that they take care of fulfillment for pizza shops. But they're also a whole new point of contact where people can order pizza. Can you tell us anything about how having third-party services involved has meant changes across the industry in terms of pricing? The one thing about the pizza business nationally and, and very specifically in Michigan and Florida, it's always been a coupon-driven discount business. So what happens is the prices can tend to be on the higher side, but the offers are way less than what the normal menu prices are. So when these third parties came in and they wanted to start charging 30% of the order, I said, it'll never work. Well, we devised a plan and uh, that plan pretty much was if they order through third party, they play, they pay menu price. I said, it'll never work. People aren't going to pay menu price. 6% of them are paying menu price. So what ended up happening is we ended up devising a plan to where we compensate DoorDash with what the customer would have been discounted. But in this day and age, millions of people are relying on third party. And I called that wrong, but we're actually uh, signing a contract this week on adding another third party provider to our system to uh, take advantage of, you know, whatever we can from a marketing standpoint based on their demographic preferences across the country. Steve, I wanted to ask about something that you touched on a little bit earlier. The fact that Michigan is this um, is has been this this crucible for so many businesses in the pizza space. Do you have any thoughts on why that has evolved? Well, I think it's kind of what I had said in earlier in our conversation. It's it's a small fraternity. Look what happened with our brand. Jim Hearn was a part of another one became frustrated with it, went out, started his own. And, you know, there's this crossover between, you know, I've, I have people on my leadership team that were on, you know, big jobs with those other companies. So it's, you know, it's a, it's a small fraternity in Southeast Michigan. And there are some other smaller brands around here too, with, you know, 10, 20, 30 stores that probably fractured the same way. So it's, uh, I think that that's a that's a part of it. It's it's a great business. It's a fun business. It was a growing business. It it really came to fruition in the '60s. I mean, prior to that, there were just a handful of pizza places. You might have one out in Boston or Maine that opened in the '30s, but pizza really didn't take off until the '60s. And it's it's such a fun food, and it's such a shareable food. I think it uh, 
kind of fit the family mold, very cost effective. I mean, you, there aren't very many QSR restaurants that you can go to and feed the same amount of people as inexpensively as you can feed them with pizza. And, uh, you know, the kids, that's, you know, their first or second choice between pizza or burgers. When you ask them, that's, that's what it is. That's today's podcast. Don't forget to go check out our limited run series, Doe Dynasty, wherever you're listening to us right now. Today's podcast was produced by our executive producer, Laura Weber Davis. Other producers on our show include Mike Blank, Ronia Kapansag, Mercedes Mejia, and April Van Buren. Our podcast editor is Rachel Ishikawa. We get additional help from Olivia Meradian. I'm April Bear. See you tomorrow, you flavored, crusty people. Bye-bye.